right, guys, just like we rehearsed it. Let's jam. And the one, and the two, and the... Wow, that's such cultural music. Very cultural, yes. Por favor, buy our CDs de musica. Gracias. How cultural. Welcome to Disney Space. Reimagining spaces in Walt Disney World, Disneyland, and spaces beyond. And now, your host, Jeff and Mark. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and wherever you are, thanks for listening to Disney Space. Uh, my name is Jeff, one of your hosts. My name is Mark, co-host, Go Dogs. Go Dogs. We're going to start the top of the show and go right into it. Mark is a, uh alumnus of Georgia. And he has celebrating an incredible victory. Mark, what does it feel like? Oh, man, you have no idea. We, this is the first national championship UGA has had since 1980, 41 years ago. And I can tell you the way Athens operates. They they feel like they're national champions every single year. And so this is actually the first time that we get to do it. I'm, I'm glad. So I'm, I'm gloating this week. I'm very happy. And... The whole dog nation is very happy. As a matter of fact, they're going to have a celebration at Sanford Stadium on Saturday, and it is sold out. Wow. So it is going to be crazy. And, yeah, and so it was a it was a really, really tough game. I know we're getting into sports and football here, but no, this is me. Right. And um, so um, we played Alabama, which is the toughest team in the nation. It was, a, it was an even matchup, so I'm glad we got to play them instead of Cincinnati or somebody and really work for that championship. So everybody's everybody's happy. And so well, this UCF yeah. Golden Knight is more than happy. And my yeah. wife, the uh, the better half of WW Scope, Mary Ellen, LSU alumni and fan of theirs. So yeah. to, this week she says, all right, I'm a dog. You know, like yeah. I, was, <laughs> I was happy when LSU won their championship. See, there you yeah. go. <laughs> <laughs> OK, who brought the dog? Uh, so so yeah. what are some ways that you've represented uh georgia when you've gone to disney world do you wear a lot of uh college gear when you go to the parks or have been to the parks yeah um i do i have some i have some old pictures of me wearing my uga sweatshirts in the winter um but i did go there i was in the uga marching band the red coat marching band when i was at uga and so we did go to the citrus bowl and it was for the 1991 season but this was in 1992 january 1st and so we marched we we stayed in a hotel and so both so you have three parks open at that time and that time it was uh, Magic yeah, was... Kingdom, Epcot, and Disney's MGM Studios. Right. 90, early January 19, 1992. Yeah, we stayed at Altamont Springs. Actually, hey, my hometown, <laughs> the Sheraton, and um, we we marched Main Street USA. We marched Epcot. We marched SeaWorld. And we marched um, downtown Orlando, and it was very exhausting. <laughs> so you know when when the bowl games come around, the marching bands get very, very involved, and it was a lot of fun. So when you when you marched to Magic Kingdom, uh, where did they have you muster? Where, where how, like where did you go? Where how where, did you bring your equipment in? Did uh, yeah. how, how does that work? On the west side, basically, we we walked behind the Jungle Cruise mm -hmm. to get to get to the Main Street entrance near the um, City Hall, and then we walked up that way, up kind of around the Town Square, and then up Main Street. 
and then we stopped and did a little face the crowd concert in front of Cinderella's castle and then watch, went back down Main Street and then back behind the Jungle Cruise. So we didn't take that route out through Frontierland. Okay. Yeah. Just a kind of an out and back. I did the same thing when I was in high school too, but you know, of course in, in the Redcoat marching band, it was a lot, oh, lot more that's, fun. That's so cool. Is there anything else you remember specifically from that trip? Like something new at the park that you had just done for the first time or, uh... well, um, you know, they give, they give the, um, performers tickets to go into the park. That's so cool. And they, they put us into the Hollywood, I mean, the Disney MGM studios cause it was practically brand new back then. And, you know, they didn't want to keep the crowds too high in Epcot or Magic Kingdom. So they, they kind of stuff all the band and cheerleaders into the new park and try to get us crowd levels up, <laughs> you know, and the, that, back then the, you know, there wasn't the attractions that it has today. So you, you, you do everything three or four times and, you know, get yourself back. There would the have buses. been no rock and roller coaster, uh, not even a tower of terror yet. Yeah. So, so no sunset there. Um, you would have had a movie ride, of course. And that's one of those things that you yeah. want to do more than once. So you can see the cowboy scene and the uh, gangster scene. Yeah. The they're Muppets. running both. You got to do the Muppets. Muppets even more than once. Yeah. So you had the streets of America. And you, had the, the, you, had the, you had the whole studio tour. So, I mean, that took up a lot of time. The 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 yeah. full studio tour yeah. really even even when they um the the big the studio tour I remember from eighty nine ninety that where the tram was only allowed to go on the streets of America that tour was was a quarter of a day in and of itself that was yeah. and you you were stuck in it there was that um that area that's that was where they built um the Honey, I showed the kids playground, but and you could get quick service there, but it was like a little island. You couldn't get back to the other side, the theme park side. You had to keep continue on your tour. And then eventually they just opened that all up. Right, right. Wow, well, that's really cool. Well, if you were at Epcot today and were hungry for some popcorn, you could have gotten the uh the highly collectible figment uh popcorn container they disney just calls anything that's plastic a popcorn container and and makes people go crazy over it yeah and that's a field day for twitter <laughs> well know. people on twitter and they're talking about the individuals that go there and if if this is a popcorn bucket you're buying from a snack kiosk uh, I don't believe it's eligible for any kind of annual pass holder discount now, on your annual pass that I have, I, I've reviewed my contract, it specifically says that I am to not commercially resell merchandise that I buy with that card. So, hypothetically, Disney can and has gone after individuals that use their discount to buy merchandise and go onto eBay and charge outrageous prices for it. But... If you bought a product at full retail price from Disney, they don't have any recourse over you, do they, Mark? I have no idea. <laughs> no, that's what I'm telling you. Yeah. They don't. No. Now, I know a lot of people, they want to shut that down as much as possible. I don't do any of it, but um, there's, you know, I've, I've, I've had my attorney friends to, to tell me about this. The, the, the first sale doctrine of the U.S. Constitution basically means once you buy something, as long as you don't have a particular agreement, like a merchant agreement with like Costco, or in this case, you have your annual pass holder uh, contract, which doesn't apply because you didn't use it to purchase this. You can do whatever you want with it, including go onto eBay and sell it for, I saw the most 
the highest one was $175. Um, that's ridiculous. <laughs> and the just... what's ridiculous here is a couple of things. Number one, Disney knows exactly what they're doing. They could sell this figment at 20 different registers in that park, but they don't. They sell it at one, so there's a line. Why is there a line? So you can take a picture of it. What's that line at Disney? What new ride do they open? It's not even a ride. It's a popcorn bucket. Popcorn bucket? Oh, that's figment. I want one. How can I get one? It The beast feeds itself. And you got to wonder about the guests who don't know that that's going on. You know, they walk into the park and like, what's yeah, that you, line? You think, <laughs> this, you think this kind of stuff, like a figment popcorn bucket, every kid in America that goes to Epcot should get one. But no, it's going to these neckbeards that are buying. They're supposed to limit two per customer. And uh, I saw people wearing them like Chewbacca's bandolier. Uh, yeah, I wonder if they bought them from other people who said, okay, yeah, I'll give you 25. I definitely know Disney doesn't want people buying <laughs> things from other guests inside their park. <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing they kind of cracked down on that as well. I would love for World Showcase to become like a flea market that we could all just go and peddle our wares at. <laughs> um, but I, I feel just, like I, I just feel like this is this, this goes back to what I joked about on Twitter. And I said, add a lightning lane that just gives them five bucks and an account. And once that escrow account reaches six million dollars, they have to do an update to the ride because they have milked Figment as the park mascot. They put them on every ornament, every piece of merchandise for every festival, including the art festival, the food and wine festival, the flower and garden festival, the Christmas festival. He's everywhere, but he's also nowhere because nobody likes that attraction. Mark, you're famous in saying on my live stream chats, oh, I've been on that version of imagination once. <laughs> yeah, the, the once was the the second version the third version's a little bit better but okay okay they, they, neither one of them stand up to the first to they me. really don't the the third one the third one is it's at least an attempt it you know they they tried to write their footing there after that miserable second one i remember going on that second one in i think it was middle school like eighth grade i was like what did they do to the figment ride this is ridiculous this used to be incredible yeah and at the same time they had that up the, the very first test track was up and so I, when I went on that vacation, I, I went on Figment and I was highly disappointed because I felt like I was at work. I felt like I was in a doctor's office. Uh, I felt like I was looking at the, in an IT back, back room. I'm like, I'm on vacation. And then I go to Test Track and it's the same thing. It's an industrial area. There's all kind of machinery everywhere. I'm like, I'm, I'm back at work. Send me back to the beach. I'm on vacation here. <laughs> So so, uh, so old Epcot was boring the kids, but then new Epcot was boring oh gosh. the adults. Yeah, <laughs> I, I just think it's funny that there's a there's a figment popcorn bucket at all. I mean, what do you do with this thing? You crack the skull, you reach into his gray matter and sinew and dip in and devour him from I, the inside. <laughs> I, I have I have a suspicion. I have a theory. There is some sort of like tax loophole that Disney is applying because they call everything a popcorn bucket they have the uh the at walkers they've had um for mickey i've seen uh sully uh there's the drink I cups too i think if they label a product a popcorn bucket just have to pay a like, no import tax on that because uh, i the difference between model kits and toys 
and a model kit a person assembles is taxed at a different rate than a toy for a child to play with. And then sometimes you see collectibles. Uh, this is not intended to be a toy, you know, it's just a piece of plastic. A kid could play with it. Uh, and they would probably claim, oh, it didn't meet, uh, the, we didn't put it through the safety uh, check, so it could have choking hazards. No, it's <laughs> just a tax talk. I don't know. It just seems suspicious to me. Yeah. But again, this is this is not a this is not a thing that needs to be. This is not a brand new iPhone. This is not a. Um, it's not even a new tree because no one actually puts the pop. That's the, that's the other thing. No one puts the popcorn in it. They gave you the popcorn in a regular box next to it. Really? <laughs> yeah. And I've never ever seen anybody consume any popcorn from these. They don't fill them with popcorn. They just give them to you empty. Because if you did that, you'd have this like you know greasy Orville Redenbacher yeah. mess that you're. <laughs> oh, it's now Pop Secret. I forgot they changed vendors. And I actually like the the new flavor. It's yeah. uh, it's, it's pretty good. But yeah, I just I just thought that was great. And again, and, then the, and like I said, then they got the people that are really upset about the eBay pirates, but. The eBay pirates wouldn't exist with uh, without the people that go on and pay them. And, you know, with our with the world's supply chain problems, somehow oh, they're man. able to they're able able to pull in the the figment popcorn buckets. So pivoting over to Disney's Hollywood Studios, where it was reported uh, now it's last week that they ran out of the collective the 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 protective bags. That your build a lightsaber from Savi's workshop comes in. Oh no! And, and then with enough complaints, they said, "Okay, well then we'll discount the price because it's technically supposed to include that collectible lightsaber case." So they they put it in a little plastic bag now. Is what they do. It looks like an umbrella bag, you know, the kind yeah. you get when you go into a building and says, "Here, put your wet umbrella in here." And I got to tell you, I think one of the selling points for those lightsabers. Which, by the way, compared to some of the earlier replica lightsabers, like the FX sabers, I know people that bought a brand new double-bladed Darth Maul lightsaber for $550. <laughs> they took it home, and then they they hit it against someone's Obi-Wan saber, and one solid hit fizzled out. <laughs> uh, but these these lightsabers uh, really hold up to scrutiny from what I hear. Really good quality. I've, I've, I've seen a friend of mine's that he built. He wasn't even what I would call a star Wars fan. He was not a Disney parks guy, but someone took him to Hollywood studios. He went on rise, went on smugglers run and did the build a lightsaber. And he was, he, he was my next door neighbor and a good friend of mine. He wouldn't shut up about it. I must've talked to him <laughs> 10 times. Every time I saw him, he's like, did you go build a lightsaber? Did you go on rise? Did you do smugglers? Run? I think oh. people underestimate the appeal of the galaxy's edge to the casual people, the casual fans, the people that have seen Star Wars a couple of times, they, you know, because he just went nuts about it. I have to say that experience of putting together the lightsaber, it looks fun. They, they thought that through. I thought that was one of the great things they added to the to the land. I thought it does. Have, it does have a little bit of a price tag and I think they've raised it too. Now it's what, 229 or something like that. OK, OK. Well, like I said, you're, you're supposed to be getting a quality product and and also getting that protective case now i was at hollywood studios uh saturday morning the 15th now this could have been a fan that just brought theirs to the park but i did see one of the black protective lightsaber bags there so they may be back in stock now but it was at least interesting that they gave a discount but i think you'd really want that to protect your 
your investment. Yeah, I, I tweeted out that, you know, Obi-Wan never gave Luke Skywalker a bag for his lightsaber when he got one. Like, was awesome. <laughs> yeah, because Tatooine's open carry, you know? <laughs> it's like Texas. Everyone should have one. You know, the, the whole thing with a bag and everything, I, you know, I, I kind of saw it a little bit humorously. And it, it reminded me of this this little story from the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I don't know if That's you've right. ever read that before. but Oh, yeah. Um, these two characters, Ford and Zaphod Beeblebrox, they were kind of searching around the planet for something, and they... They stepped upon this, um, the spaceport, and there was just this one spaceship there that was full of people in a suspended animated state, and it was a it was another log, luxury clue, cruise liner, <laughs> just like our Halcyon, <laughs> and all these people were just asleep, and there's these automated, um, these I guess these automated attendants were were going up and down the aisle you know, are sure, waking them up so they can have some coffee and biscuits and stay alive. But basically they were there because they ran out of lemon-soaked napkins. And this was an ultimate luxury cruise liner. They had to have their lemon-soaked napkins. So they stopped at this place and they were going to wait for for civilization to come to and then invent lemon trees and invent manufacturing and then invent lemon soap napkins cause, so they could be restocked and be on their way. <laughs> These it was integral, to the, it was integral to the experience, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So we had the marathon. So the, the, the big news for me was uh, I was back at it last, uh, well, not last uh, Sunday, but the Sunday before the ninth, where I got to see live from the Magic Kingdom Hub the 2022 Walt Disney World Marathon. I wasn't able to stay out there all morning, but I got out there around 5.30 and stayed till oh, about wow. 7, 7.15. So and you saw the leaders run by. I did see the the the, the leaders, the front runners. Um, it's always such an amazing experience for me as a spectator. I've never done the, I've never done the running. Uh, I want to say it was 2018 or 2019 we just happened to be out at the parks uh on a saturday morning and like oh yeah today they're doing the half marathon and we went to the train station at in magic kingdom and and just got a really good vantage point and we must have stood there for three hours and watched the people run by and the wave of humanity that washed over us is the 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 endurance the people have that do it uh it really amazed us and so the next day uh my wife didn't come with me but i woke up at four in the morning to go spectate at magic kingdom and i made it an annual tradition to at least go out there the day of the full marathon and go to magic kingdom well last year due to covid they didn't have the marathon 2020 was the was the last one but now 2022 they brought it back uh, they had all four uh, races through the parks, the 5, 10K, half marathon, and full marathon. The On the full marathon, when you enter into the Magic Kingdom over, it would be that little service tunnel that's uh, underneath the railroad as like you're coming from the contemporary. Right. Okay. Uh, you come in through there and enter Main Street and run down Main Street. That's where, that's where the 10th mile starts. And as you run through the park, you go through Tomorrowland. Uh, fantasy land you come out through the castle which i think is really cool because you get to see where you were and then you go down the castle ramp into liberty square frontier land and then out the parade route back that way and you come around back by grand floridian so that ends up being mile 11 right okay uh just yeah. it's such an amazing experience 
There's this lady, Brittany um, Charbonneau from Denver. Mm-hmm. She, in the women's category, she actually won all four categories, the 5K, 10K, half marathon, marathon. It's the first time that's ever happened. Okay, that was mm-hmm. confusing me. I didn't look at it too yeah. deeply. So she won in the women's category all four, but then there yeah. was a different individual that won uh, the full marathon in the men's category. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's it, what I was trying to understand. And this is quite impressive because, you know, 5K race is completely different from a marathon. 5K, mm-hmm. to, to a long-distance runner, a 5K is a sprint. And for for somebody to be able to accomplish all three, including the sprint, is very impressive. Sometimes a, hard, a 5K all is... All four? It's a 5, 10, yeah. half, and a full. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes the 5K is harder than a marathon <laughs> when, you, when you run it fast because you because it's a sprint if you really, really want to finish it first, especially with all those people. But um, yeah. So I got to run the I got to run the marathon in 2019, which was a lot of fun. And I've I've run four marathons. And see, that's crazy to me because I know we were we were at least friendly on social media at the time, and I know I was in the park yeah. that day. We didn't coordinate anything, you know. Come yeah, on. Well, I, I think that was actually prior to us meeting because I started looking at the um Periscope app after that. Very okay. shortly after that. So, and then I noticed that you were, you had commented on it. It's like, wait, I was there. We probably crossed each other's path. <laughs> Actually. Oh man. I, I should, I, you know, a lot, of, a lot of those old videos are still up. Some of them aren't. I'll see if I can go back and uh, and find anything because yeah. uh, that was, that was what I always loved about doing them. And Periscope was, was a little bit better in facilitating it than, than the Twitter live yeah. is. The Twitter live right now was a band aid. It, it's helped me connect to the folks that had followed me on Periscope. But it's not really it's not really driving any growth in the subscriptions, which is okay. I'm, I'm I'm just glad to be able to still connect to people that like my video content. But one of the things I loved being able to do on the marathon day is even folks that didn't care about Disney World, that didn't care about Periscope, they'd get on there because they know someone who's in the marathon. And the last time in 2020 uh, that we did it. There was a, a gentleman who got on the stream and said, my two children are, are running it today. And, uh, and he said, <laughs> well, do you know where they are on the app tracker? And he looked it up and he says, they should be in Magic Kingdom in about 10 minutes. I'm like, well, do you know what they're wearing? And he said, uh, he described uh, his son and his daughter. I'm like, okay, we're going to be on the lookout for them. And then when they came out of the castle, they went in front of the castle of the hub area to take a picture. And we're shouting their names. I can't remember, but it was like Timothy, Stephanie, or something like that. And we could see them. And they were looking around like, who here would know my name? But they couldn't figure out where it was coming from. And then later he he thanked us for being able. So, I I mean, it's it's a one in a thousand chance that you're going to be able to do something like that. But that was part of the fun of being able to go live and connect with people. Yeah. Yeah. So So I have um, a little story to tell when I was there for 2019. Yeah. Um, I, I been, again, I've, I've been in three marathons prior to that, so I've run marathons before. But this time, it was, you know, of course, it's in early January. And I had just so happened to be in Shanghai before that. So I was Shanghai for two weeks. And, of course, going there is, you know, a challenge on the, the mind and the body to begin with because it's a 12-hour jet lag. So I just when I'm there. I, I go out in places in China where I can to go train and run. And um. Of course, I did that around Shanghai Disneyland, kind of ran around the backside of it and some of the, the um, I'll call it where the, not really cast member areas, but some of the back business areas. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah, so I, I come back, I come back to the States days before having to go to Orlando 
and I get back home and I can't sleep. You know, going going to the east for 12 hours, you can you can adjust. But depending on how long you stay, when you come back, it's much harder to adjust. Really, some of it is because you get hungry at nighttime and so is time. Right. To eat. And so um, I try to sleep the first night, couldn't sleep at all. Get up the next day and I, I do things to exhaust myself. I did a little bit of run training just to kind of, I wasn't a tapering. They, they, when you taper, when you marathon, you kind of run less and less, but I still wanted to stay fit. So I did that mostly just to exhaust myself. So I'd sleep that night, went to sleep, <laughs> went to bed, couldn't sleep again. <laughs> Maybe I got a couple hours of sleep. Then the next day we had to drive to Orlando. So I had to stay awake driving nine hours, eight hours to Orlando. And we get there at the hotel. I'm hanging around the pool trying to relax some. I go to bed early. You have to go to bed early for these Disney marathons because you have to get up at what they call OMG 30, which is 2.30 in the morning. <laughs> you have to get, get on the bus and get over to the, to the waiting area to get to the start line. So but by the time the marathon started, I probably had five hours of sleep in three days. Oh, my <laughs> god! And here I was about to run 26.2 miles, which, which is really running, you know, 28 miles because of all the all the movement you have to do in the parking lot before and after. The about, yeah. <laughs> getting back to getting back to the hotel room and all that. Were you but satisfied with your with your time? Yeah, well, it was. You know, when you run a Disney race of any sort, it's it's kind of more of a novelty than a time to race because there's so many places to stop and take pictures of and get the mile marker selfies and things like that. So you know, yeah, I, didn't, I heard, I didn't I heard there was um, I heard there was some upsetment because uh, for the first time in a long time. Expedition Everest is down for maintenance, yeah. and apparently it's very common for runners to take a break and go ride Everest, and yeah. like near the last leg of the the run or something like that. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's a lot of fun. Oh, um, but cool. you know, to me, to me, the Disney Marathon, if I could just summarize it as a marathon, it was difficult for me because Florida is flat, and I'm used I'm used to running on hills here in North Georgia, and it seems like it would be harder to run marathons on hills, but you actually you know, you expend a lot of energy going uphill, but you take a break going downhill. Okay. Energy going back uphill, a break going down. So you get all these breaks. When you run on flatland Florida, it is constant energy all day long, and it is tough. <laughs> so I thought it was a lot harder. There's that, and it's the, yeah. the humidity. A lot of people yeah, aren't used yeah. to that. It, it, yeah. I actually heard something compelling uh, someone say on Disney Twitter the other day about, you know, Floridians complaining about the cold when it's not really cold, but yeah, but <laughs> it's still very humid. So it's like jumping into a cold swimming pool. It's like yeah. when, when it's 55 out, it's still that same level of humidity that it is when it's 95. Yeah. Out. Yeah. Yeah. It gives you some energy when you're running. I have to admit that, you know, if, if you're not dressed, yeah, you know, I did have to take off a lot of layers on the way. <laughs> I oh. expected it to be a lot cooler. So at the start line, I threw away a sweat. You, sometimes marathoners will buy they'll buy sweatshirts at Goodwill or Walmart or something and just stand there at the start line and throw it away at the last second. Okay. But yeah, I did. I did that, and then I had I had a short sleeve running shirt and a long sleeve running shirt, and then I took off the long sleeve by the time I got to the Magic Kingdom because I had enough of it. <laughs> stuck it in my, I had a, like a water bag behind me, stuck it in there, and just wore the t-shirt the rest of the time. I mean, you know, in January, so felt like summer, but. I really enjoyed it. It was it was one of the greatest times of my life to, well, you know, to, I, I to actually as, go through all four parks before noon. Is quite that's cool. Something. Yeah, the ultimate yeah. park hopper, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Please stand clear of the doors. Por favor, manténganse alejado de las puertas. 
big snake in the plane, Jock! Oh, that's just my pet snake, Reggie! I hate snakes, Jock! I hate them! Come on, show a little backbone, will ya? So this week's Disney space, Mark, who, who chose this space? Showcase of wishes. He gave us, he actually gave us three suggestions and we put a poll out on Twitter and on Facebook at Disney space pod. And it was between Dinoland USA and a, an area outside of Tokyo Disneyland park. Just a kind of a free space area out there between there and Disney sea. And also, what was the other one? I couldn't remember the other one. <laughs> um, but anyway, Dinoland won. And so that's where we're at. Showcase of wishes. We appreciate your suggestion. And we have been challenging ourselves this week. And trying you to can appreciate it all you want. This was the, <laughs> this was the toughest. Now, I'm going to give a little, a little personal information here. So I'm currently on the job hunt and trying to divide my time between uh, – interviews and yeah. um, job postings but i really sat down and uh i don't think we put any restrictions on this one uh sometimes we like to put some guardrails or just some different rules on it when i sat down at this space i said okay i am gonna design a killer dinosaur based attraction and then I went out and I rode the, I, I actually did read, did in-park research. I went out specifically and spent as much time as possible. I walked through the boneyard. I ate at restaurant Saurus. Uh, I, I went to Chester and Hester's dinosaur treasures gift shop. And I rode the dinosaur ride twice. And I was like, okay, now I'm fully immersed in this land. I even played a couple of the, um, the games and the uh, the midway sort of area to really uh, understand and, and feel for this land. And then I came home, got out my big notepad that I always use for this. I start just writing down ideas and I'm like, okay, what can you do? Well, we already have a fast moving adventure ride with dinosaurs in the Cretaceous period. So I'm thinking, okay, what always complements a fast-moving, exciting ride? Well, what about a slow-moving boat ride? Well, other than the big drop, a slow-moving boat ride is essentially the Jurassic Park ride at Islands of Adventure. Right. And then that just got me thinking. Does Jurassic Park, as an intellectual property, overshadow so much potential that that you can have in developing theme park attractions based on dinosaurs. I think it does. I think I, I think every guest who walks through Animal Kingdom and walks through Dinoland USA, they have Jurassic Park and Jurassic World on their mind. And it's it's they not can't help but can care. You can't you can't help but draw the comparisons. Now let's consider what is the premise of Jurassic Park. The core pre, the core premise is uh, scientists have been able to take the blood from ancient mosquitoes that have been encased in amber and those mosquitoes were feeding on dinosaurs and thus were able to fill in the holes of the DNA and re and, and clone dinosaurs and bring them back to life based on that. Mr. DNA taught you well. Yes. Right. Yeah. So I get it now just looking at, at the, um, 
I'm looking on Google right now and looking at the the Dino Institute uh, where you go. And that has got definite Jurassic Park visitor center aesthetic written all over it. And uh, when we went on the dinosaur ride, we were we were with a friend of ours who uh, about 15 years ago had been to the parks hundreds of times because her mom was a uh, a cast member and then hadn't been back since. And now she's been coming with us lately and kind of relearning her love for Disney World. And she she asked me, is this a Jurassic Park ride? And I said, there's a joke I always say about one of my favorite show, Firefly. And I say, it's Star Wars with the serial number scratched off. And <laughs> the dinosaur ride is Jurassic Park with the serial number scratched off. And what I mean by that is, okay, they're not bringing the dinosaurs back to life. They're instead using a time travel component, which at, at least when it opened, now it's aping on two different Universal Studios attractions, Back to the Future and uh, the Jurassic Park attractions. But you know what? It, it works. I'm a big fan of that ride. Uh, I always love it when I see Dr. Seeker memes. Uh, it's, it's fun throughout. They've got a great um, representation of a dinosaur fossil in the lobby. In the, in the pre-show, they refer to the traditional museum exhibits as the old wing. But now we're going to take you down into the bowels of our research station and you're going to time travel and see the dinosaurs. And you do in a uh, attraction whose layout and ride vehicle is almost identical to the Indiana Jones uh, and the, what is it, Temple of the Forbidden Eye? That's right. What is the, oh, wow. Did I get that right? <clears throat> I think so. <laughs> Disneyland. Okay, or something like that. In yeah. Disneyland, that opened uh, three years prior in in '95. So, I want to I want to put a pin in what I was talking about, but we're going to go back to uh, on this. But I want to go back to okay. my point. Coming up with a dinosaur based attraction, at least with as stressed out as I've been lately, felt nearly impossible because everything I came up with seems either derivative or not really that engaging. I mean, there's only so much you can do by, hey, look at the big fake robot dinosaur. Now let's go look at the other big fake robot dinosaur. Right. So I bit the bullet and said, okay, let's give the people what they what some people are asking for. And let's say, let's let's forget the dinosaur theme. Let's embrace the notion of an Indiana Jones attraction. So, like I said, the dinosaur ride is almost an identical track layout and it's the same vehicle system as the indiana jones attraction so let's say you, you totally scrapped the dinosaur theme from everything in the area you rebranded dinosaur as i don't know uh barnett college or a museum that uh, um that what was his name marcus uh ran in um raiders of the lost ark and you can see in the queue all these artifacts for Indiana Jones. And then you go on this adventure with Indiana Jones, just like you do in in, um, in California. So, so then I said, well, then I need to create another experience. And I was trying to figure, I thought about the incredible Indiana Jones action sequence in The Last Crusade, where he has a fight with a tank where he's on horseback. And I was like, okay. Now we're on to something. Indiana Jones is a little bit of a cowboy. So what if we talk, what if we have an attraction that talks about animals 
and the relationship with humans and 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 what if we delved into the the fundamental animals of civilization such as horses and cattle uh draft animals that for that were needed for construction for military for for transportation of goods and i really really went down the well there and i even thought maybe we could tie this in we're already using indiana jones let's go let's also go to the well of another uh Steven Spielberg film that I loved, War Horse, about a horse that fought in World War One, okay. and 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 uh, and you know the the and I'm like, this is getting real deep for a light breezy theme park experience. So you know, maybe for Disney's America, you're going somewhere there. Maybe I yeah. again, I thought I really thought, is there because I'm a big defender of Avatar. I love the Avatar section of Animal Kingdom, and I do think. It does have those connections to the themes and thesis of Animal Kingdom. Remember, I'm thinking back to the show that we did sure. about Kilimanjaro Safari, and I say, is 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 Kilimanjaro Safari too central of of an attraction to Animal Kingdom's theme that really taking it out dilutes the park? And I think it does, but also that theme. I don't want to say it handcuffs you. But I just I can't see Indiana Jones going in this park. I don't yeah. get it. He's a archaeologist, not a paleontologist. Those aren't the same thing. And the guy hates snakes. And he rode a <laughs> horse once. I mean, this is all I got. You know, yeah, he does. If you wanted to kind of just force animals into the Indiana Jones theme, historically he does have a lot of I'll say awkward moments with animals. You know, his, his very first, his youngest days that we see. When he was young, Indiana Jones. He, oh, the beginning he, of he, uh, Last Crusade. Yeah, the he fa- Phoenix he, segment. Yeah, he falls into a circus train. So you know his his whip comes from a lion's whip, you know, and he's he's mixed in with zebras and elephants and a giraffe. You know, maybe there's a circus thing you can do. But you know, also when he travels to India, he's riding the elephants. He knows how to work work that. He's you know sleeping out there with the critters and the snakes and the the bugs and things like that. There, there, there's all kinds of things you could probably do from a, of course there's the entire scary... dining, the entire temple dining sequence that yeah. you could, you know, I mean, you're almost making a replacement if it's a tough to be a bug with an indie theme as well. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I, there are a lot of people who, who say we're getting Indian as a replacement for dinosaur. Everybody knows it's coming. Well, let's just talk about it. And it, it is sort of hard to fit an animal kingdom genre to it all even though it, it is a great attraction in disneyland it's hard to see how it would fit in animal kingdom now see I, now i'm a huge fan of the indiana jones stunt spectacular but if you told me guys we're going to retire that and we're going to build just a carbon copy of the indiana jones uh disneyland attraction there i'd be fine call it a day make that little corner lucasfilm corner and uh and just go and heck even build next to it the uh, roller coaster they have in the what's the Disneyland Paris Studios Park. God, we have that show coming up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea though, actually. <laughs> uh, yeah, and you can make a little, you know, with it, and and this is just taking off the shelf things that Disney's already done and calling it a day. And now, I would personally, if they're if we're going to replace the stunt show with a Indiana Jones ride attraction, and again, we're not even anywhere near where we're supposed to be today. I would even want to hope that hey, can we do something? I, I'm gonna work. I'm gonna age mark, but what 1995 is how many years ago? I mean, almost 30. 
It's, oh. I mean, there's it, gotta be something new you can do with the character and, uh, and not just copy and take a, a West coast favorite ride and bring it over here. I don't right. know. Right. But going back, going back to my point is I, I completely struggled with coming up with any good dinosaur based <laughs> idea due to the, 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 the eclipsing that Jurassic Park does to the entire area. And then just saying, okay, scrap it, make an Indiana Jones. I I had no appetite for an Indiana Jones attraction in this park. I had no desire. And I think back when I did the Hamp Krusty layover for Fort Wilderness, I did that under the auspices of something that I wouldn't want to actually do. But I mean, I gotta I gotta say, hey. Uh, if, if, if this is, if this is at home Imagineering, uh, I had to call in sick this week because <laughs> it's a tough one. I mean, Dinoland USA is one of those places that's kind of available, but you know, making anything that fits an animal kingdom, especially as a, as a meager replacement to that is real is challenging. I have to admit. Well, this whole section of the park, Dinoland USA uh, and now the the large theater where the Nemo show is, and I believe we're eventually going to be getting back a modified version of the Nemo show in the theater of the wild. That's a humongous facility that's right now just not being used. And across the way uh, at the, um, what was the, uh, was it Rivers of Light uh, seating area they built is now the Disney Kite Tales. Uh-huh. I saw the Kite Tales show just walking by while I was by Everest about two weeks ago. And yeah, that's a thing that happened. Um, <laughs> it looks delightful. You know, it's, I, I would, it's, it's, it's cute. Like if, if you maybe it's called it like a water parade that the kids could see. Right. I, I could see that. But it's another one of those experiments by Disney Park. I don't know. Does Imagineering do that or is it Park Operations or who comes up with those? Uh, I'm, I'm I'm, sure. I, would, I think I'm not sure on the true divisional <laughs> labor, but I believe Imagineering does most of the creative side of it, and then they give it to park operations to run. Okay. In fact, I do remember that was the reason I was given for Rise of the Resistance not being available as part of a VIP tour is because the ride had not been formally turned over to park operations from Imagineering because of its operational issues. So it was then their purview to say, sorry, VIP tours, you can't come in here. And then I think people saw that regular VIP tours could not go in there, but then there were actual VIP tours where I think it was uh, Mariah Carey had gotten a personal VIP tour. So then people were saying, well, how come that VIP tour got to go? But my VIP tour didn't. <laughs> what's the different, what's the different levels? And it was essentially, well, she's famous. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I'm, paying, I'm paying three grand for this experience. I didn't know yeah. I needed to be famous. Years to ago, the real one. Y- years ago, that would have been Elizabeth Taylor and the, sure. the rush, the Soviet premiere and Michael Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Michael Jackson apparently used to run the show over at the Imagination Pavilion. Oh yeah, yeah. he used to love running around the uh, the Imagine Works and the uh, the Rainbow Tunnel up there. So I know you had mentioned before about a, a Zootopia placement in this area, and 
I mean, many people have talked about, talked about that as well. I know Joe Rody has his opinion about that. I I would um, have to. I mean, I guess who am I to disagree with 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 the Imagineer who who helped spearhead Animal Kingdom? But I really would I would really say to Joe, go back and watch the movie uh, Zootopia. I've seen it twice, and I really think there are some interesting themes about the animal politics of these. Now, say which phrase you want, sapient, sentient, self-aware animals. And what's interesting about all of the animals in Zootopia is there are no dogs and cats because there are no domesticated animals. There's only, you know, wolves and big Uh cats Okay, (laughs) uh, because there are no humans in their universe. So they are the ones that have evolved and they have evolved to a point where, and it's only mammals that are animals. Like if you go back to like the old, like Robin Hood cartoon. You'll see things like like anthropomorphic turtles and storks and other and other creatures like that. But Zootopia is all all the sentient animals are mammals, so you can kind of get around the carnivore thing by at least having them eat non sentient birds and fish and things like that. But it would be a faux pas for uh, for a big lion to eat a lamb because. Hey, I'm late to work tomorrow. Hey, what are you doing to me? You know, like so, and that was a whole theme of, of almost murder, murderous carnivores going back to sort of a, a pre-time there. So I think if if you can, if you can shoehorn Avatar into the park with a smile and a nod to Paragon species and Keystone species, things like that, I really feel like you can pick up those themes just as easily. It just sounds like personal preference, like he said. Uh, he doesn't want uh, animal. He doesn't want animals that wear pants. So <laughs> maybe scrap the whole thing and build a giant Jungle Book section. I don't know. Yeah, but... kind of like an extension of Asia. Yeah, it's, yeah, because right you, you can be kind of downstream. And yeah, if 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 the, if you have the Asia section that is more northern India, then if you go farther south and across the river, you'd have more of a southern India section. So you could do that. And I've always been a big proponent of uh, putting in a um, just a carbon copy of Mystic Manor somewhere on uh, Discovery Island. If you did an extension of India, you could probably retheme Indiana Jones to the Temple of Doom, and then add your bugs and snakes and that'd be pretty legit. Yeah, monkey, I mean, monkey brain dinner. <laughs> <laughs> the the killer the killer dessert is the chilled monkey brain stand. Yeah. It's like the Dole Whip, but it's like a cherry. It, your, it comes in a mold. There's your popcorn bucket <laughs> challenge right there. <laughs> <laughs> Anything could be a popcorn bucket. <laughs> but Mark, that was sort of my, yeah. uh, I, I, I hate to wave the white flag on this one, but it, I, I think it, it led to a bigger discussion about this area. And like I said, what you can, what you can't do in this, this, this section. But I know you've got a really big design in mind and I'm really excited to hear about it. So I want to pick your brain and give you the floor. Tell me what you want to do with this space. I'm looking at it from the aerial map right now. Okay. I want to transform this entire land, and I want to retheme it to South America. Okay, South so America? South America. In, in Animal Kingdom, when you walk in, you have you got this these paradise trails. You go to this Discover Island, and then you branch out to the different areas of the world. You have Pandora, which is sort of this off-world area, and then you have... Africa and Asia, and then this Dinoland USA, 
which is this silly little thing that's kind of an, off in the corner of America where the dead animals. <laughs> so I, I don't know if that works, but I think South America is somewhat missing in, in all of Walt Disney World. And I think this will be a great opportunity. I think it's I think it's worth noting. Yeah. Uh almost to a point of semi-notoriety, uh the South American tour groups that were very famous in the last two decades or so of going to Walt Disney World, particularly Argentinians and and Brazilians. Right. Uh, and I can tell you from experience that Walt Disney World themselves has kind of I want to say addressed certain issues with those groups. It used to be you would have about 80 14 year olds and one 19 year old proctor that was someone's cousin that they just ran loose. And Disney has now asked for more, a, a higher ratio of actual parents or legal guardians to kids uh, and ask them to break into smaller groups. Cause man, it'd be something if you're about, if you're getting off of, let's say splash mountain said, well, maybe we'll go ride thunder mountain. And then boom, Nope. 120 people all wearing the same shirt, just jumped in front of you. Yeah. Uh, but I've I've also, I've also said not to be xenophobic towards it or anything because for the most part they were polite and they were enthusiastic. Some people didn't care for uh, them singing or chanting too obnoxiously. But I was always quick to point out you would see just as many American groups that comprised of obnoxious cheerleaders oh, as you as you <laughs> would these. Fine. So again, and there again. It's all about having fun. Yeah. That's, I, so I always took it with a brain of salt, but I would also say, okay, they're having fun. Let's head back over to Adventureland. <laughs> because, yeah. and, and sometimes they would do things like all 80 of them would get into a single rider line. Oh, well, come on now. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that's not what it's for. You're all together. Yeah. Now I've been to Sao Paulo, Brazil before, and it is oh, wow. a beautiful, beautiful country. And, you know, you, you see the, the, uh, another sky at nighttime you see the southern cross and you see all these beautiful mountains and eucalyptus trees and oh my gosh the coffee is the best on the planet it is wonderful the, the people are so incredibly nice and, and, but, I, and to, to just wrap up my point there is uh, just their unbridled enthusiasm for these parks if they were if someone were to build I think there was always a demand for some South American presence in world showcase but instead to pivot, this part of animal kingdom uh to maybe celebrate south america that's going to turn yeah. a lot of heads and it's going to bring in business it's going to yeah. really uh, get uh, get them back in back here which by the way ever since brazil hosted the olympics i've really noticed the the turnout from from them as has gone down the for the for the for the brazilian tour groups yeah well i think uh, covid has <laughs> had an effect on that as well well very much so, yeah <laughs> yeah i i do think um you know south america and the in the brazil area sao paulo or Rio de Janeiro could be a future location for another disneyland someday because of their uh, because of their presence that they had in orlando that would be a good future spot i think for disney property a, a disney space the question is where to put it and what to have in it but in, in Animal Kingdom, um, there's another podcast called the Tomorrow Society podcast. Now, I listened to that. Listen there's a recent episode that they had where they had all kind of people call in and contribute their ideas what to do for Dinoland USA as well. Oh. And actually, South America was somewhat of a popular notion. I've, I've always thought this 
for a few years and I had my ideas, but it was interesting to hear their ideas as well. But a lot of theirs was very meager changes, but I want to do something completely different than all of these. But I do encourage people to go back and look, listen to the Tomorrow Society podcast. Of course, we encourage everybody to listen to all kinds of podcasts. It's how, how we educate ourselves. Yeah. So if I step back and just look at Animal Kingdom as a park concept, um, to me, it shouldn't just be an informative and learning park. It should also be, to me, a a look up and gasp and wow park for for each corner of Animal Kingdom. There ought to be things that guests they look up, they gasp and say wow for everything. So so right now, Dinoland USA just it just isn't that to me compared to the other parts of of you know Pandora, the floating mountains, and and Everest, and you know and, and all of the um, Kilimanjaro safaris. It's, there's a lot of wow through there. The, the Tree of Life incredible the the boneyard i don't know <laughs> um and again when when people walk in i did notice kids loved the boneyard yeah. that's and i had ne- i had never been up there before never even my um when i would go out there with my nephews and when even when they were totally age appropriate in their you know eight or nine years old they, they never really had an interest to do it but i walked through there just so i could get a feel for it but man, kids were going nuts for that. So there is something to be said about an area for kids to run around and blow off a little excess steam and yeah. not have to wait in line for something. That was the other thing I noticed is I was in line for Smuggler's Run on Saturday. Uh, we actually had gotten up early, had done rope drop for the park because we wanted to take our friend on Rise of the Resistance and it was broken all morning. So instead, we alternatively went and did Smuggler's Run and... And like the nerd I am, I timed to see how long standby was. And it only took us 27 minutes from the time we entered the line till the time we were in the cockpit. And the kid behind us, you would have thought that his father was punishing him with this trip to Disney in terms of having to wait in line. And who are all these people? Why are we waiting? What's going on? And the dad's like, well, son, I was kidding. Everyone else is here too, and they want to experience it. Why can't we just go in front of them? Like, oh my God. I, I <laughs> so it, there, there isn't something in the parks that needs to appeal to the kid that can't wait, I yeah. suppose. Okay. We're going we're, we're gonna to take it out. <laughs> <laughs> Bulldoze it. <laughs> Bulldoze it. But we, we could actually add it back in. So let's, let's, let's go through this. I want to clean sheet this entire area. All right, so we're <clears throat> we're wiping the whole thing. Yep. Are we even going to keep the bridge uh, by no. uh, Flame Tree Barbecue? Oh no, that's going away. All right, that's gone. Yep, yep. We 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 will keep the building that's used for dinosaur. Okay, that's one thing. We're going to keep the theater in the wild as well. Okay. But we're we're, we're going to clean out all the concept stuff that's there right now for Dinoland USA. All right. One one thing I've always thought was missing in all of Walt Disney World was real botanical gardens. And I don't mean gardens like we might see at the resorts and beside walkways at Epcot, like you might see in front of Journey into Imagination along that, that big pond. And, and and kind of what is shown at the land in Epcot is focused on agriculture. But what I mean is real botanical nature gardens that showcase exotic plants of the world with, with integrated aviaries. And I think that might be something that we could fit here in the South America. Now, if you go in, now on the South American continent, Brazil, for instance, is not just—it's not just known for its rich assortment of nature. The country is no, also known for its ambitious futuristic architecture. So th- there was this architect; his name was Oscar Niemeyer of Brazil. 
He's well known for designing these very futuristic, swooping, cantilevered, organic-style buildings across the country. And many of, many of his designs were likely referenced for the original Tomorrowland and original Progress City of Epcot. All these swooping spires and pinpointed legged structures. Like you know, I just like, did a Google image search for the word Oscar Niemeyer, and the images that I'm seeing just really do evoke 1971 Tomorrowland. Yeah, they're Those they're very columns, sharp. Yeah, yeah, and they have like if you look at the original Progress City, you have this large, expansive roofed area, and then this building just poking out through the middle of it. That that's something that he would absolutely do. And so when you walk around Brazil, like I've done this, you can see a lot of these buildings still there from his age and, you know, many, many others. And they have this, this very, very unique design. And that's something that's very South American to me. Um, so for Animal Kingdom South America, I'd like to attempt to combine these two notions of nature, nature and architecture, aviary, botanical gardens, and amazing relevant structures fitting for Disney in, of course, a really big way. So, so what does this look like, okay? Today, when we pass underneath this Dinoland USA sign and cross the bridge from Discovery Island to Dinoland USA, you know, we come to that dinosaur skeleton, that, what they call the Olden Gate Bridge overhead. <laughs> so that goes away. The dig site goes away. Dinoland's going away. Now when we cross this bridge to South America, we come to something really, really unique. We come to this... I'm going to try to phrase this in a way that you can use this, you can imagine. We come to a designed grove garden of giant, colorful pink and purple artificial super tree sculptures that stand far above the existing trees around that area. And these won't be real trees. They won't even look like real trees, like the tree of life. They'll be, they'll be sculpted art trees. And, and guests will understand this when they lay, out, lay their eyes upon them. <clears throat> they'll be designed sculptures Eight, eight or ten of them in, of varying heights and diameters, integrating nature and art. You know, I'm talking like 150 feet high, and, and they'll provide this unique skyline that could be seen from Discovery Island or even the parking lot, and they'll just look stunningly amazing. And these, they'll be sort of shaped like upside-down trumpet, trumpets or mushrooms mm -hmm. with sculpted steel limbs that flare out wide at the top, creating this, these shading shadows underneath. And the, each tree, they're, they're false trees, but they'll be lined with real ferns from the trunks all the way to the top, and they'll glow and pulse at night with this light, this special lighting, purple, pink, blue, and green. They'll be tall and sculpted beautifully to wow the people at first sight. It, and, um, well, here, here let's, let's try this. Um, pull, up, pull up Google. I know, right. I know we like to do this. And I want to show you what I'm going to look for, what I'm what I have in mind. Look up gardens by the bay in Singapore and pull up the images. Now, while you're doing that, I'm going to talk about what's nearby these trees. We're going to walk through this amazing grove and we're going oh, to pass wow. we're going to pass directly into the entrance of one of two side-by-side -side gigantic glass and steel rib dome conservatories that nearly cover this entire land space. So you, I know you can see that, these, these mm -hmm. two giant glass dome structures. Think of the Tron canopy that's for the outside of the Tron coaster, but much more completely enclosed, futuristic, organically designed structures created for sustainable environments with, you know, within 
for for all the natural magic of South America within. Reminds me of the old Biosphere 2 concept yeah. they did in the early 90s. Yeah, so very, very different from Dinoland. Can't even compare. But just, just picture in your imagination this almost naturalistic, almost futuristic, but still fitting for nature space right there in Animal Kingdom. So and if you walk into Discovery Island and peek to your left, you're going to see the floating mountains of Pandora. You'll see the Tree of Life ahead, and you'll see these gigantic super tree, super tree structures to your right. And then you, it'll, it'll have a little bit more balance to it. And so that's what I want to have. I'm, and if you look at these giant domes you see at, at Gardens by the Bay in Singapore, I'd really like to build something like that here too. You know, one thing about, I, I've been to this place in Singapore and it is absolutely stunning. And like they spent billions and billions of dollars making this thing. And I encourage everybody, I'll put it on the show notes and I'll put it on Twitter. I'll put all kinds of pictures on it. It's an amazing, amazing place. And it feels, ex honestly, I've had this idea to actually put into Epcot, <laughs> into what, what is now world nature. But I actually think it would fit here in Animal Kingdom too. And even if you look inside those those glass domes, one of them is called, I think in Singapore, it's called um, Cloud Forest, and the other one is a, a desert garden. Yeah. And yeah, and I would I'd like to do something similar here too, where we have one giant um, flat dome that's pretty much near the entrance of Dinoland, where the where the boneyard was, and almost at the entrance of the dinosaur attraction. And so the, the dome would come to over the facade of that dinosaur attraction, but the rest of the building is kind of outside of it. So there will be an attraction there, but you, you're basically inside this dome space to get to it. And so within this dome, we'll have um, one of them will be representative of sort of the, the Andes mountain area and the, what is it called, the Atacama Desert of South yeah. America. And we'll have kind of internal pathways and, and plants and and cactuses and just just the full nature experience of what you might have in South America in that region. And this will just be a very casual walk around little area, but we'll also have some little kiosks and stuff where we can sell things that you might see in South America and in Peru and Argentina and those kind of places. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so... I thought this would be really, really neat. And um, in, in along those little areas of gardens, you could also have some carved life-size sculptures of art that you might see in South America. But the closer you get to what was that dinosaur attraction, I'd like to have some sculptures of what looks like dinosaurs because dinosaurs were very, very common in South America. They actually had some of the largest dinosaurs on the planet there. One of them was, um, it was sort of like the, the Tyrannosaurus Rex, but it was larger. Um, I can't remember what it was called, the, the Gigantosaurus or something like that. <laughs> but what I want to do is I want to retheme that dinosaur attraction into something different. Now, if, if you remember um, a movie called The 33, a Disney movie, and it was about the Chilean miners. Do you, did you ever watch that? No. So there was a, there was a, story of a few years ago about these miners in the in chile that were trapped in the mine and they had to wait wait several weeks to be yeah, it was rescued. 2010 they were yeah. trapped for 69 days i do remember that yeah they, they they had to you know bring out a drill and drill down and rescue them 
And it was such an incredible movie that Disney, I mean, incredible story that Disney made a movie about it called The 33, starring Antonio Banderas. And so I want to have the storyline where we're going to go back to those Chilean mines and we're going to bring up the stories of those 33 miners. And one story we'll, we'll sort of make up a little bit there is to suggest that they were down there so long that they, they heard these noises, but they never talked about it with, with the people on the, on the surface. They thought they might've been going crazy or something like that. They didn't want to talk about these deep, strange noises that they heard. So after they were rescued, some scientists and explorers went down there and started drilling into the areas where they heard the noises too and discovered a Chilean mine paradise full of these dinosaurs. And so we're going to retheme the area to called Chilean, mine, Chilean Mines Paradise, where people will be, will be able to get into these mine cars and we'll retheme the whole front of the, front of the area to look like you're going into a mine and then we'll see the, the dinosaurs of this Chilean mine. So sort of retheme the attraction a little bit, not, not as time machine vehicles, but as mining vehicles. It's a little bit of journey to the center of the earth. Yeah, exactly. Mixed with some yeah. real world. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that way we don't have to go through the expense of tearing it down and building something new. We don't have to do Indiana Jones. We could, but we can bring a little bit of existing Disney property to it a little bit and a little bit of reality and a little bit of fantasy and a lot of South America. <laughs> so that, that might be something that's fun. Um, and then as we turn away from, and, and of course the entrance to that building will be as if it's in the dome. So the whole time you're in this dome, you're in this space, but there's so much light coming from the outside that you feel like you're outside, even though you're, you're inside. And, you know, all these glass panels are, are designed in such a way that they don't overheat the space, but they, they are, they're actually designed to keep the plants alive, but also to keep the space comfortable. Um, so in the wintertime, it'll be nice and cozy. And in the summertime, it'll be not, it'll be, won't be stifling hot. It'll be a very comfortable place to be all the time. And I'm sure a lot of people in animal kingdom would appreciate that. <laughs> um, so off to the side, um, beside this Chilean, um, Chilean mine experience, I'll I want to have this place called, um, club Quinte, which is Portuguese for club hot. Sort of oh. an antithesis of club, club cool. <laughs> yeah. And this will be the best coffee shop in all of Orlando, <laughs> featuring responsibly sourced imported coffees from Colombia, Brazil, Guana, Suriname, French, French Guiana, and Brazil, the best coffees on the planet. And this will be the place that, you know, the regular guests will flock to after rope drops in the morning to get their coffee breakfast. I like it. Yeah. So then we move to a second dome, like you would see, like reference back to the, um, the gardens by the bay, you see this very, very tall dome, mm -hmm. which is, which is containing a, a cloud rainforest. And this is, this is sort of showing us some of the, the plants and the features that we would have in the coastal regions of Brazil or Argentina and Venezuela and Colombia. And this dome will also have many inter interwinding paths showing plants from throughout the Amazon basin, tropical mountains. And what I want to have in here, just like you see, see in Singapore is this very tall mountain structure you know, these vertical slopes with waterfalls visible to everyone and visitors will be able to take stairs or an elevator to the top of this tower from the inside and walk around these elevated flyover pathways that cross in front of these waterfalls that will have close-up views of the the mosses and the ferns and the mushrooms and the orchids again this is this is botanical gardens in disney world 
on the but but also since it's animal kingdom i want to have dozens of parrots and par parakeets and macaws all in this little area all native to south america so th this is now the place where they they can have their little home in animal kingdom we see them all the time in this flyover thing they have in mm -hmm. the morning times so i want to give them a place to live and for places for guests to come see them and there is a there is a um a, an apiary section of the gorilla falls exploration trail but it yeah. has more african appropriate um um bird life as opposed to uh what you like you're saying south americans especially uh parrots parakeets things like that which i'm always impressed by so on these on these flyover ramps when they're when they're looking at the sides of this waterfall, if they just turn their heads and look through the glass, they'll see the skyline of the rest of Animal Kingdom. You'll have spectacular views right there of that of that where they do the rivers of light or the I guess the the kite show. But you'll see that <laughs> you'll see the tree of life, you'll see Everest, you'll see the Pandora floating mountains. That'd that. be an incredible view of the whole park, yeah. which yeah. you may be able to see some of the um Kilimanjaro safari from that vantage. Yeah, and and on you know from the other side, you'll be able to see this dome from the from the Discovery Island side too, and it'd just be spectacular, you know, amongst the trees. Um, but in this in this tower of the of the cliff waterfalls, I'll call them. Inside of it, I also want to have a Brazilian restaurant inside of there, up top. You know, serving all the finest South American meat delicacies, just like you would have at at the Brazilian restaurants anywhere else in Orlando. What, what is the famous one? Fogo de Chao? Something like that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, just like that. And, but but all of this, this this Clift Mountain restaurant, all of that, I want to have that actually over the top of the Theater of the Wild. So the Theater, theater in the Wild is still going to be there, but we're building all this stuff up above it. Like a rooftop restaurant? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And so it'll be sort of a multi-level type of attraction space. And in that theater of the wild, I want to I want to host two shows. We're going to get rid of Finding Nemo; that has its place. But I want to start telling the story of Up, which takes place in Venezuela, and the other one, Encardo. Have you seen Encardo yet? That takes place in Colombia, and I think Encanto? that Encanto. Yeah, Encarto isn't is it what it's called? Encarto. Encanto, I thought. Encanto. Like yeah, I'm sorry, Encanto. Yeah, you're right, Encanto. And then I was thinking of Encarta, yeah. the old Microsoft encyclopedia. <laughs> yeah. I think I had a typo on my little I, I I I watched a couple of the musical numbers uh from it, but I haven't actually sat down to watch the whole thing yet. It's very I, it's very good. It's very good. Uh -huh. They they had it's all it's Colombian mythology. Um and you know, this this family is is the caretaker caretakers of this magical space and this magical house, and everyone, every family member has magical powers except the main character. I won't, won't spoil it too much, but mm -hmm. one of the characters has a has a lot of influence with the animals. And it, when you look, yeah, at the, some I've of seen the, that. The, their powers, yeah. they can converse with the animals, yeah, and, yeah. And, and, and talk for them. Yeah, so that that would be something fun to fit fit here. And of course, outside you have all kinds of meet and greets with all these characters. And I know the the um, what's the what's the bird from Up? He already Evan, who walks yeah. around. In fact, yeah. it was just sighted today, first oh, time back in a good. while in Discovery Island. Yeah, this this will give him a home. Yeah, a proper yeah. home because Discovery yeah. Island is is it, it's it's generic to the point that it almost doesn't belong in a Disney park, but it it serves its purpose as a hub land. Yeah. And again, that's why I always thought 
first of all, yes, get rid of the absolutely dreadful, it's tough to be a bug. I <laughs> I don't like to use the word hate. I don't like to have that in my <laughs> vocabulary. And I also don't want people to think I don't like Bugs Life. But A Bugs Life is one of my favorite Pixar movies. Having said that, it's I hate it's tough to be a bug. The attraction that literally poison gases the audience. <laughs> I don't like it. Uh, my daughter doesn't either. I can tell. Okay, you. <laughs> great. Well, we're kindred spirits there. Yeah. Uh, my wife will. My wife will even go and watch it with me, but she won't sit down because she doesn't like the stingers in her back. So she'll just uh, she'll just stand there and watch it. <laughs> That's great. But I am not a I am not a fan. But. Uh, this is incredible. I love this idea of, of bringing this section to life. And I think, I think it addresses the problem that I had, which is, uh, there's, there's, um, uh, that was a weird digression. I don't know where I was going to go with that, but there's the, the dinosaur problem the is, 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 is the Jurassic park problem is, and it's, you can almost see, like I said, it's Jurassic Park with the serial number scratch. If you can kind of see what they were trying to uh -huh. go for with the dinosaur or prior to Countdown to Extinction uh, attraction, uh, that it, it, I'm, it, I know there is the actual dinosaur film, but it almost feels like it's a move, it's a it's a movie adaptation ride without an actual movie that yes. exists. Yes. Like it seems like okay, there there's all sorts of shenanigans with Dr. Seeker and Dr. Marsh and this institute that somehow uh there's there's this whole weird backstory thing because McDonald's was the sponsor of rent restaurant source when it opened and you could get McDonald's fries and chicken nuggets there. Uh I do believe the implausible backstory is there is something to do with the McDonald's secret sauce that goes on the Big Mac that facilitates a temporal flux device that they have access <laughs> to. It's ridiculous. And it's only in very like minor, like if you look at the, the, the piping inside the dinosaur attraction, yeah. you'll see like one of them's the chemical formula for Sprite or the chemical formula for ketchup and the chemical formula for mustard. It's and, unnecessary. <laughs> it's unnecessary, but it's cute when you know the reason for yeah. all that. But it's, it's again, other than those little cute tie-ins, just the whole idea of dinosaurs is, man, they Jurassic Park in 1993 really locked that down. I'd say before that, dinosaurs was a pretty generic concept. You had things like um, The Land Before Time, there was we're back a dinosaur story there was all sorts of dinosaur things the land of the lost land of the lost <laughs> but since 93 uh, i i it's like it's like universal just flat out owns the yeah. concept of dinosaurs I, this, this is why i i purposely tried to keep dinosaurs is a side theme in this i thing. asked you is your thing going to include dinosaurs and you're like well no oh it could i was like oh wait, yeah. i can't wait to hear how he's got that yeah. but you did you I, pulled it I, out i, I want to really really elevate south america because there's so much to show there i want to bring the singapore attraction here because frank frankly it is so far away from north america and europe so few people are going to go visit that place but it's so worth it they they did a lot of lessons learned in building that place, not just these tree structures, but also the domes, that they could take all that lessons learned and just build it here. Just have Disney build it and, you know, scale it down, 
to, to something that's reasonable and put it here in Animal Kingdom, it would be absolutely stunning. I, I guarantee you people would fly from Europe. This is this not only passes the nine-hour drive test, this passes the fly from, <coughs> fly from Germany test, <laughs> hey. I think, to me. Shout out to um, our German listener. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, there, there's one thing I want to add to this, this forest dome is sort of a stretch attraction. And if you, if you look at Google Earth and you look at the theater in the wild, behind it, kind of in the in the back area, you'll see this this um, marina, if you will, that services all the boats that goes up yeah. and down. the. So I, what I would like to do is I'd like to take that marina and put it on the other side of the waterway and then use this space to build something new and something old <laughs> mm -hmm. that's that will fit within this area and fit within South America. And I call it the Living Seas and Rivers. Okay. And if you can imagine the Living Seas in Epcot, which is the Living Seas with Nemo in Epcot, yeah, I'm, I'm going to give a chance. I'm going to give Bob Chakepeck a, a chance to retire that thing because I know that thing is a thorn in his side <laughs> with all the expenses involved with it. The, the, the Living Seas in Epcot was something that was very, very fitting of Future World in its early days. And where it is right now, it's a little bit of a challenge expense-wise. So I think if they... I see the writing on the wall for that place in the next 10 years, and I want to I want to have a survival plan for it. And if we can do something in Animal Kingdom, which which is where it actually belongs, let's put something like that here. And it doesn't have to have a ride. It doesn't have to have a restaurant. But I'd like to have something where all the animals that are there now have another place to be and survive. That is the living seas. It, it doesn't even have to have the the sea base alpha alpha component yeah. or the ride yeah. component yeah yeah but i would also like to have tangent you know interwind interwinding with it or tangent to it something called i call the living rivers and this is something where you can see the animals right. of the amazon you can you can see the piranha and the and the the big lawn the anaconda snakes and then have another river off to the side where the animals won't be eaten you know the the giant river otters of South America, a place for, you know, kids can come look at the, not just stand by these rivers, but actually get underneath and watch these things swim around. There's another opportunity, I think, here to build a new aquarium in Animal Kingdom. I think that it'd be more, it would bring Animal Kingdom to be sort of, sort of a zoo versus not a zoo, <laughs> not completely a zoo, but a little bit closer. I think that you would know, be cute. Speaking specifically about the seas with Nemo and friends or the living seas, whatever you want to call the entire pavilion and addressing your, your concern and your point that, and I think you're right is I think a part, I don't want to say the problem with that, with that facility, but I think, I think by rebranding and adding the ride component, that is a, a very kid friendly ride, which by the way, whenever I see kids on it, they go nuts for the Nemo characters. And I love that part at the end where they project the Nemo characters into the actual seas tank and you, yeah. they're swimming amongst the actual wildlife. I think that works. I think one of the things you miss because of the ride infrastructure, the original ride, which was not very long, was sort of a primer for the actual um, aquarium experience that, hey, this is a giant aquarium experience and come and check it out. And I I feel like if you did want to inject longevity or life into the attraction at 
Epcot is do a little bit work of work on the exit side. Uh, technically, you can go in through the exit. Now, it used to be with the old hydrolators, it very much discouraged you from entering through the exit. But now there's just, but now there's just, yeah, but now there's just a gift shop. There's nothing wrong with people just walking into the gift shop and then going into the aquarium areas without necessarily having gone on the ride attraction. And I feel like if, if they could develop that area a little bit better, improve the flow, the walkway, maybe even put a little food booth back there, maybe some shrimp bites, I don't know. You could also tell people, by the way, if you don't feel like going on the little Kitty Nemo ride, you should still go check out America's second largest indoor aquarium. It's pretty freaking rad. And it, it it's one of those things where I don't feel like you'd have to make that many you wouldn't have to make a big investment or financial infrastructure commitment to drive more traffic to seeing the aquarium itself. But like you said, if it is a thorn in JPEG side, that may necessarily be intentional. So I don't know. I feel like you, I feel like you could, you could get more people interested in that space if they were more aware of, of what there is to see in there. There's a footprint of, of scientists and veterinary staff and planners and, and in, in animal food um, provisions all right there at Animal Kingdom. And some of the stuff actually has to be brought over to the Living Seas to feed the fish. Um, it, it would be good if it was just, to me, all in one spot. If, if, if we're going to do something like South America, then we could actually pull off putting an aquarium there. I wanna, that would, I wanna that would be have a really a appropriate spot. I, could, I really see where you're talking uh, yeah. about behind the... Um... Behind, it's basically behind it'd be right behind where the what was that stupid ride called the prime primeval world. world yeah exactly yeah it would have been behind there mm-hmm. and, and instead you like you like you said you could take that space and it would it would fit down now i do believe a lot of the costs associated with the seas was its initial construction i'm certain but uh if you're not having to build a ride that goes through it. And instead you're just talking maybe about just, uh, and, and listen, there's, there's, um, lessons to be learned. I mean, that the, the, the seas opened what in 86, it Not wasn't a park been. open, but it was, right. it was a later, uh, park experience. And then since then, um, the aquarium you have in Atlanta is very impressive. Yeah. It's just a walkthrough as well. Yeah. Um, just something like that. And it's just a spectacular. Honestly, it, it well actually it's got it's got larger um, panes of glass. It's it's yeah. a little bit more impressive uh, with like almost like two stories of. Uh, uh, so I mean, it, it, it's not again like I said, I, it was the second largest indoor aquarium because Atlantis I think is the first in the United States, and so it's not necessarily the most impressive, but it's still impressive. But yeah. The, the Animal Kingdom would be a good home for it, and it'd be good to see them make that commitment, especially if you could transport a lot of that uh, marine life. But man, that's such an Epcot thing. I don't want Epcot to lose that. <laughs> if, if if it meant it's if it meant Disney World is going to lose it all completely, I'd be all for the move. If if possible, let's try to keep it. Here's here's what it does. It sets up a Disney Space episode for us for the Living Seas area. Hey, there you go. <laughs> if we need prime it. real estate, what Marvel property do you want to put oh, in there, gosh. guys? Oh. None. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Okay, let me let me talk about these glass domes themselves. Yeah. And, and, I, and I really want everybody to go look at Gardens by the Bay. There, there's a construction video that I'm going to put on there that is so incredibly fascinating how these things are put together. Bas they're, they're steel ribs that go over the whole thing. And so when you're inside these domes, there's no columns holding the entire thing up. Everything is structurally supported from the outside, but it doesn't look... It doesn't look overcoming to the, the surroundings. It looks very integrated. Um, but I want to do something here at Animal Kingdom that's a step above what what's in Singapore now. Mm -hmm. And if, you, if you're on the inside of these domes and you look up, there's glass panels everywhere. You can see the sky. If there's an airplane flying over, you can see it fly over. But what I want to do is for each each pane of glass across the most of the thing, maybe not the entire thing, but most of the thing, all overhead, is I want to parallel to the, each, each pane of glass, I want to have transparent LCDs so that when the sun is backlighting all this glass, we can put graphics on those LEDs. You're still seeing through it. You're still seeing the blue sky, but you can also see this gigantic rainbow just sort of splash across the whole dome. Or these flocks of South American birds just fly over randomly. Or pterodactyls fly over the Chilean dinosaur mine area. And have all kind of wow effects that, that are used making these transparent LEDs to make you feel like you're in some sort of magical space. I thought that would be just, that would give a wow factor to, to Animal Kingdom in this area. You know, when it's, when it's raining outside... You can probably give it the impression of clear skies when you're in the dome just by making them blue. Yeah, just yeah, with that lighting effect. That's amazing. Yeah, and then have LEDs on the exterior ribs. So when you're at nighttime, when you're looking, when you're on Discovery Island looking across, you can see all of South America architecture just glow beautifully. <clears throat> and um, when we're, we're taking the kids climb thing away from the boneyard, the the these giant super trees, they can also have a, like a a treetop adventure on these well, you know, overhead bridge paths that connect connect them all. And of course there's opportunities for holiday overlays on the inside of this with you know showing you know Christmas and Easter and other holidays of South American tradition and cultures. And you know, just imagine the the pan flute guys when they come in. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah. So I think this would stand toe to toe with Pandora. That, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to make sure Make sure we don't have a, a lopsided animal kingdom. So I want to. I really want to give the space a, a good pull to pull the crowds out of Pandora, but keep them in the park, and really, really elevate um, South America. So that's you know, along with this idea, since since this is a very, I'll call it a a, a walk along, sightseeing, touchy feely smell here type of experience. Mm -hmm. I, I, I would like to see not just Animal Kingdom, but Epcot and the studios, have sort of a, a slow-paced park pass system where regular frequent guests or grandma and grandpa can, can pay a reduced price, you know, no attractions, just, just come into the park and walk around. But, you know, you, you may have to, if you want to go ride um, any, any of the rides, maybe you have to, you know, up your pass or add some money to your genie plus but it would be nice to just to, to have a reduced price where you can just walk into a park and just walk like a slow i know if pass. they offered that my parents would be there at least once a month yeah and they used to when magic kingdom opened when it was just the magic kingdom 
all tickets were a park entry ticket. And then you would buy the, the coupon books. But you could just walk in there with that park ticket for cheap and do nothing. <laughs> this is something yeah. I want saved for another show, but I'm going to tease it now. But I, I, I want to I talk about Disney World at its 100th anniversary and some of our predictions and some of the things that we might do to plan for that eventual time. But one of the things I keep coming back to in my mind is this there's a notion right now that like Hollywood Studios which has seen a massive capital investment with Toy Story Land and Galaxy's Edge still has the fewest number of ride attractions of any of the Walt Disney World parks and then Animal Kingdom as well has very few ride attractions and I think this is also kind of born from more of the Six Flags Cedar Point mentality that that um park fun equals number of total rides it not necessarily taking into account the individual quality and, and design of those specific rides but but my greater point is i think the future for walt disney world is less of trying to pretend that a one-day ticket for hollywood is the same as a one-day ticket for epcot and maybe just seeing more of the entire resort being one large park yeah that would that would be incredible yeah and it would and, be it and, would be right <laughs> and 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 then it would just be how many days and where are you going to go within there and um and again it, it's hard to meter that out and in and even right now the the concept of an annual pass is not what it used to be i mean i, I used to be able to at any moment just on a whim, drive down I-4, 25 minutes, and boom, I'm going to go to a Disney park. Uh, I, I got to reconnect with a friend of mine who I hadn't seen in about 15 years because now he's got eight kids. <laughs> <laughs> and it used to be when we were in college, we would uh, we would meet up uh, in the at the campus parking lot, run down to run down to. Hollywood or that time MGM Studios would ride Star Tours three or four times, get some free pizzas from his sister that worked at uh, Pizza Planet, and then go ride the movie ride or Tower of Terror once. And then they'd close up the park, and we would try to do that as you know, sometimes two three times a week. And that's not really the model Disney's really looking for for an average customer. They want the once in a lifetime guest. But now with the park reservation system, and it's not difficult to get reservations for the parks right now. I typically now plan it a week in advance. I know I'm going to go to one of the four parks on a Saturday. And as long as I do it um, at least five days in advance, I don't have to worry about it being all booked up. So it's not too bad. But again, it does remove a lot of the spontaneity. You know, when when Walt Disney was designing and conceiving Disneyland in California, I often wondered what he thought of a theme park as being just a park. I wonder if he had it in his mind. Yeah, mom and dad are actually just going to walk in here and they're just going to kind of look at stuff just like they would in any other park. And the kiddies are going to go ride the rides. I've wondered what his idea of what park meant. Hmm. That's interesting. You know, and then and that's where I kind of got the idea for the slow paced park pass. Is this it's kind of falling along with that. You know, if if you have botanical gardens in a park, sometimes you might not want to go r ride the the 
the big things at all. You just want to go walk in and walk around. Now, I do think conceptually there's going to be a similar experience to what you talked about. Not, not Maybe not to the extent, but with the – I don't even know what the name of it is. I think it's like the, the – that's not, no, that's not it. Let me see. It's going to be the Moana area of the front of Epcot. Yeah. The Journey of Water. Yeah, Journey that's of what water. it's called. And that's going to be sort of like a walking water garden area. Yeah. And I'm really looking forward to that. I'm, Moana's not my favorite movie, but um, the idea of a colorful musical, you know, grotto, you know, I, I used to love just walking around the giant buildings and concrete areas with the light up uh, um, ground effects yeah. at night. And, you know, that was, that was just, you know, very kind of bland corporate structures of the old communicore or uh, interventions buildings, but you still love that at night. Yeah. And so if the, you look at the original concept art of journey into imagination, you'll see that water feature. That's there. right. Yep. <laughs> They're just bringing that back. All right. South America. That's what I want to do. I like it. I like it Singapore. quite a bit, and I think I think it's very doable. Yeah, with with Singaporean influences, but it's a it's South America in yeah. representation. And I I, I got to tell you, I, I'm serious. I was more than impressed with that entire land area they did in Singapore. I can't believe how incredible it is. It, it feels like Epcot times twenty. <laughs> in that in that Marina Bay Sands Hotel, you walk into that place, and it feels you you get the sense that you're in what a contemporary resort would be like 50 years from now. It's stunningly incredible. They, they have a park on top of this. It's a whole different show. <laughs> but, you know, bring, let's bring some of that. I think Disney could own that here. All right. So let's next? talk about our next Disney spaces. Not for our next show, but for the show after that, we're going to have a very special guest. I don't want to reveal who it is just yet, but we are going to address the, the situation that is the Imagination Pavilion and the current journey into imagination with Figment Attraction with a special guest. But for next week, or, or next show, I should say, Mark, I can't remember what was the location that I had checked out. What what did we say we want to do? Was it the end of Sunset Boulevard? Yes, that's correct. What we want to do, and here's here's the Disney Space assignment, is we're going to look at Disney's Hollywood Studios. And right now, if you walk to the end of Sunset Boulevard, you end up at the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror. And then to the left is the... Rock and Roller Coaster starring Aerosmith and Lightning McQueen's Racing Academy and it dead ends. We're going to take the entire area behind Lightning McQueen's Racing Academy. We're going to leave Rock and Roller Coaster, but we're going to take all of that park infrastructure out, including the parking garage. And we are going to loop around and then come out to the entrance of Toy Story Land and the assignment is for each of us to design a themed land to fill this spot, similar to Galaxy's Edge or Toy Story Land, where there's a main e-ticket attraction and then a smaller or a couple of smaller attractions. And this will really fill out the park because you'll be able to 
walk completely around the perimeter of the park like you can Magic Kingdom or Epcot or Animal Kingdom. Perfect. So and, that's going to be a lot of fun. And yeah. it's, 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 I'm, I'm not, hey, if you come up with an original concept, that's really cool. But otherwise, I would expect because we're dealing with Hollywood Studios to look at the Disney Rolodex of stuff we own and say, hey, sure. Here's something I know a, a very common one out there is to build a monstropolis for Monsters Inc. or uh, to take Cars Land and just plop it yeah, right here. So you're diving into it already. <laughs> well, I, I'm just giving some examples. Yeah. If, if if that's what you want to do, go for it. If you think you can do more than one with the real estate, go with it. Um, and just remember, Disney now owns Fox. Ooh. To fit 20, 20th Century Studios. I've I've already got my idea. Yeah, <laughs> I have no idea what I'm going to do. <laughs> That's not, but this is a great Disney space. It's it's, it's a, a huge it's Disney a space, and uh, this is where you and I get to have more fun than Disney, because in doing so, I'm looking at the aerial map of the location right now. There's so much what I would refer to as behind the scenes infrastructure, essentially, uh, especially the parking garages, the the, these warehouses, facilities that I'm certain are very uh, important for park operations, but eh, they can move it somewhere else. Yeah. That's not our Universal problem. Universal did that when they built Islands of Adventure. It all got Big tossed time. around. <laughs> so um, right. I'm glad you mentioned Journey into Imagination because we're announcing this early because this space deserves a good concept. So we need some yeah. time to really think that through. We and like I said, uh, each other. we'll have we're going to have a new we'll have a new episode featuring this space before the end of the month, uh, and then sometime next month we have to we have to coordinate with our very special guest. We will have our special inside the imagination with Figment episode. All right. So again, on behalf of myself, Jeff, and my co-host Mark, thanks so much for listening to Disney Space. Mark, where can they follow us? You can follow me at six miles tall with a number six. And they can where? follow you. Where can they follow you? At Twitter. Oh, that's, what, they... that's right. <laughs> <laughs> and they can yeah, follow me a... on Twitter and Instagram, WDW Scope. And they can follow all of us at on Twitter at Disney Space Pod. And there is a, we have a Facebook, Facebook group, right? Facebook group, Disney Space. Yeah, join us there. Give us your feedback. Tell us what you want to do. If you want to be a guest on this show, go for it. Send us a message. Let us know. We'd love to have you on, and we'll give you an assignment for a space, and we'll give you our feedback, and you give us yours. And if you're listening on Apple Podcast, feel free to give us a rating, however you choose. Five star, please. And any comments would be welcome, and we'll read them on the show. Absolutely. Mark, have a great weekend. It was great talking with you. You too, Jeff. Take care. Bye-bye.